Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, The Gospel and Mental Health. In this four-part series, we'll look at what the gospel of Jesus can teach us about setting boundaries, how to deal with anxiety and depression, and the importance of forgiveness. To watch any of our previous messages online or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you here into the building, as well as those of you who are online. We're glad you're here. And today we're bringing to a close this series that we've been doing over the past three weeks called The Gospel and Mental Health. And we've been looking at how God's Word actually speaks to us about uh, how we set boundaries, how we handle anxiety, how we... uh, give and receive forgiveness. And today we're going to look at what the Bible tells us about depression. Now, a few years ago, you may have remembered uh, Pastor Rick Warren and his wife Kay's uh, son, uh, Matthew, uh, took his life after a lifetime of struggle with mental illness and depression. And from that day, the Warrens decided that a conversation about mental health needed to happen in the Christian community. And Kay Warren wrote that Christians have traditionally treated mental illness as a taboo subject that we don't talk about. Or, and she said that this has led many to think of those or themselves who are struggling with mental illness as being weak or as having a character flaw or, or lacking spiritual faith. But she says mental illness is, a, is an illness just like any other Her husband, Rick, said, followers of Jesus should be the first responders to those battling the darkness of depression. We should be compassionate facilitators of hope and healing, following the example set by Christ during his time on earth. He says the church should be a primary resource for eradicating the stigma and serving those in need of treatment. He says we've we've stigmatized mental illness and depression for far too long. It's not a sin to be sick, and your character isn't defined by your chemistry. Your identity is not based on your illness. Your brain, like your heart or lungs, is just another organ in your body. Christians can suffer depression and mental illness just like they can experience a toothache or a broken bone or a clogged artery just like all humans do. When our physical health breaks down, we seek treatment, he goes on to say. We take medication as prescribed, and we pursue recovery. Similarly, when our mental health and our emotional health causes suffering, we must not ignore it or deny it or shame others for what we experience. Instead, we seek medical professionals. We take medication if needed and face causes and contributors we can modify or change And we work with doctors and counselors and therapists and pastors and other believers to restore our minds just as we would our bodies. We pursue holistic healing so we can experience the fullness of life God created us to enjoy. So that sort of sets the context. As I begin this message, though, there are two things I need to say. First and foremost, I'm not a therapist. I'm a pastor. I'm a theologian. I can counsel you on what God's Word says about dealing with depression, but if you're depressed and if it's severe, I recommend that you see a licensed therapist. If you struggle with suicidal thoughts, then please talk to me immediately after the service or go to a hospital so you can get immediate care. And and the second thing, I I need to tell you out front that I, I am 
uh, deeply uh, indebted to the work of Pastor Chris Hodges, whose book, Out of the Cave, Stepping into the Light When Depression Darkens What We See, has, has been very influential in today's message. So sometimes we falsely believe that the individuals whose lives and activities are recorded in the pages of Scripture were superhuman. Uh, we sort of think they didn't struggle with emotional or mental health issues. We gloss over the hardships when we read through them in Scripture. But in reality, some of them had their own mental and emotional struggles, as all of us do. For instance, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he said this, uh, said that he was under such great pressure in his ministry that he despaired of life itself. Now, you may just gloss over that when you read it, but think that through. Paul, the apostle, the church planner, the pastor, the teacher was so hopeless and depressed that he did not think he could go on. Now, today, we're going to look at the life of one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, and we'll see his own struggle with depression. The prophet is Elijah. You can read about him in First and Second Kings, and you will notice when you read the New Testament that his name is frequently mentioned throughout the Gospels and other letters in the New Testament. Pastor Chris Hodges writes about Elijah. During his earthly ministry as God's prophet, Elijah performed many miracles and received many blessings. For example, he caused the rain to cease for more than three years. He brought a widow's son back to life. He parted the Jordan River. Elijah also was fed by ravens. He called fire down from heaven. He mentored his successor, Elisha. And what we see is that clearly Elijah was someone who knew God and who served God with dedication and authority and heavenly power. So with all of those connections to God and all of that affirmation from heaven, we might think that Elijah never struggled in his faith. But he not only struggled at times to trust God, he got so depressed that he wanted to die. That makes him someone I think we should want to know more about because we can learn something from his life through God's word. So, like us, he faced the same kind of depression that sometimes we experience in life. So, today, we're going to look at him, and we're going to see what we can learn. So, God called Elijah to be a prophet, and he called him to speak prophetic words to the nation of Israel because they were being disobedient. They were worshiping other gods than God Almighty. And in fact, we read in 1 Kings 18 that God sent Elijah to the king of Israel, Ahab, and his wife, Queen Jezebel, at that time. And he said there was going to be a drought as punishment on Israel for three years. And you can imagine that as each year went by and it got worse, that uh, people became more uh, angry and frustrated. And King Ahab wanted to find Elijah, and he, he wanted him to be held accountable for what he considered he had done as the prophet who brought God's word to Israel. And so when he catches up with Elijah, he calls him a troublemaker. And this is Elijah's response. He goes, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. So, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel 
are confronted here by Elijah. And you need to know something about them. They had hundreds and hundreds of false prophets that would lead them in worship, not to the God of the universe, but to these false gods, these totems, these rocks, these places. And they were actually leading Israel to reject God and committing idolatry over and over and over. And in fact, they had actually been on a mission, a murderous mission to, to kill, to slaughter all of the Lord's prophets. And so Elijah confronts them and he proposes a challenge, a challenge that would be held between, he, between Elijah, a prophet of the Lord, and actually 450 prophets of the false god Baal. And so they meet at Mount Carmel and Ahab assembles the people of Israel to, to watch this huge showdown the 450 prophets of Baal show up and Elijah shows up. And this is what Elijah says to the people of Israel. He says, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Elijah proposes a test, a challenge, a contest, whatever you want to call it, between himself and the 450 prophets of Baal. And the, and the challenge would be this, that each group would build an altar. And then they would prepare a sacrifice, but they would not light the fire for the sacrifice. Instead, they would pray to their respective gods and ask the gods to light the fire. So the prophets of Baal build their altar, they slaughter a bull, they put it on there, they prepare everything that needs to happen, and then they begin to pray. And they, uh, they shout, and they dance, and they pray all morning, and it goes into the afternoon, and they pray, and, and uh, you re read the whole story, Elijah starts to taunt them because uh, their God is not doing anything. And then they finally rest, and Elijah comes in, and uh, he takes over. And what he does is he builds the altar, he puts the wood on it, he slaughters a bull, he puts the bull on it, and then he asks the people to do something very different. He asks them to pour water over the entire sacrifice, the bull, the wood, the stones. They even build a trench around it so that it's filled with water around it. Not one time, not two times, but three times they douse it with water. And then Elijah prays to the Lord. This is what we read happens. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and it burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And seeing this, the people of Israel repented and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Now, Unfortunately for Elijah, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are not repentant like the people of Israel are. They are outraged. And in fact, Jezebel vows to have Elijah killed. And with that threat, what Elijah does next is shocking. After this huge success, he falls apart. We read this in chapter 19. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. 
I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, Pastor Hodges writes, after facilitating one of the greatest and most dramatic displays of divine power in Israel's history, Elijah collapsed in terror at the threat of an adversary he had just defeated. Seemingly in a matter of hours, if not minutes, he went from the heights of prophetic confidence to the depths of suicidal despair. Elijah had been fearless for three long years, culminating in an amazing victory. He had took one threat, and he instantly caved and cowered in fear. And he actually went into a cave, and he spent the night, and he writes, to enter the cave of depression, it is to retreat alone into darkness. You may feel safer temporarily, but you're also all alone. You've lost your direction. You can't trust your senses and the usual data that they provide to help you navigate your surroundings is no longer there. It isn't long until you're afraid that you'll never find your way back out. That's depression, he writes. It pulls you into complete darkness, utter aloneness, total disorientation, and sensory distortion. And that's where Elijah found himself. But we're going to see, with God's help, he was able to find his way out of that. So, moving forward from this place in Elijah's life, we're going to look at several ways that God helped Elijah address his depression, which I believe are important ways that we can also address depression when we experience it. But I want to be clear that these steps may not be the only things that you will need to do. I've learned that depression is a complex illness and that each one of us is unique. And so these observations can help many of us, but we still may need to work with a therapist. We may need to see a a medical professional. Uh, I've learned that when it comes to depression, the healing process takes time. It's not a quick fix. And it's something that you may struggle with for a lifetime. And what helps one person with depression doesn't necessarily help the next person. I've also learned that there are many contributing factors that cause depression. So with that in mind, it's very important for us to pay attention to what's going on in our lives as a way to deal with depression. And that's what we're going to see that happened in Elijah's Elijah's life, what what helped him. So we're going to look at those factors that that actually we see that ultimately Elijah addressed with God's help that began to bring healing to his life. So let's look at this. The first thing that he addressed and the first thing that we need to address if we're experiencing depression are our physical needs. So before Elijah walked a day into the wilderness and sat under a broom tree and told God that he had had enough, that he wanted to die, he'd been going all out. He had been running on adrenaline from one major event and conflict to another, and he had also literally been running. Three years prior to this big showdown, God had Elijah announced that there would be a great drought, and that drought led to a great famine. So there was fear in the entire region. There were people that were angry and upset and blamed Elijah for this famine. King Ahab wanted to find him, and if anybody said they could find him and didn't, he would murder that person. And so there was this intense part of his life going on. And then we know that there was this great showdown with the prophets of Baal. And of course, the prophets of Baal lose, and that enrages the king and the queen even more. And and she 
pronounces a death sentence on Elijah. Under that threat, he ran. He ran a long way. He ran 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. And then he ran into the wilderness near Beersheba, which scholars say was about another 120 miles. So he was exhausted. Physical exhaustion can lead to emotional exhaustion. He was exhausted. And what, what happens next is a reminder to what he needed And it's really amazing to see how God ministers to Elijah. We read in chapter 19, Then Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up. And eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So Elijah is exhausted physically and emotionally. He's depressed. And one of the things he's not been paying attention to, which God makes sure he pays attention to, is his own rest, his own nourishment. So God provides for Elijah in this supernatural way. If you're experiencing depression, one of the first things that you're probably going to start to ignore are your physical needs. But God created us, and he knows what we need. We need rest. We need sleep. We need healthy food. And so some of the first things that we can address when we're dealing with depression are those meeting those physical needs. It's so important for us to to examine what's going on when we begin to experience depression, even if it's a little bit to begin with, so we can begin to address it as soon as possible. So we see that that God helped him address his physical needs. Now we're going to look at his emotional needs. It's interesting when you read about Elijah in 1 Kings. It just seems like he's stoic that he, he, he doesn't have really any emotions in the dialogues and the conversation that you see going on until you get to chapter 19. And in chapter 19, all of his emotions all of a sudden become revealed in three verses. So let me read them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then we read in verse 10, Elijah replied to God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So let's, let's just sort of look at the emotional content that he is expressing there. In verse 3, we read that he was afraid for his life, so he's feeling fear. And, and in verse 4, we, we see that he tells God he's had enough. So he's expressing the feeling of desperation. When he says that he's no better than my ancestors, you can see that he's, he's suffering from self-confidence, from, from low self-esteem. When he tells God how zealous he has been for him, he is finally venting 
and expressing his anger to God, which is okay for us to do. And when he says he's the only prophet left, you can tell he's experiencing the loneliness of his situation. And then finally, we see his worry and his anxiety come out when he says that they are trying to kill him too. So it would appear from what we see in the first Kings that, that Elijah has been bottling up his emotions about his previous needs, about what's been going on in the previous weeks, months, and years. And he's finally expressing those emotions, which actually is healthy and allows us to process them. So if you're experiencing depression and you've been bottling up your emotions, one of the important things that you and I need to know about our own mental and emotional health is that we actually need to express our emotions in appropriate ways without hurting anybody. And we need to talk about them so we can process what we're feeling and begin to to look at it. And and that's what's going on. Elijah's honesty and, and desperation then lead him to a deeper encounter with God and And perhaps expressing his feelings and letting them out created that space for Elijah to receive what was going to have happen next. He he let off some steam. And the Lord made it clear that that he wanted Elijah to experience in something else. And so we've talked about addressing emotional needs, but now let's move into addressing spiritual needs. What transpires next in the story is an amazing personal encounter with God. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is an amazing personal experience with God. Remember that Elijah before he ran into the wilderness, had experienced the power and the might of God in that amazing showdown with the prophets. And now there's this mighty windstorm that tore the rocks loose, but it didn't phase Elijah. The earthquake came and it shook the ground, but it didn't shake Elijah. The fire came and it certainly warmed him, but it didn't impress him either. But what happened next caught his attention at the deepest core of his being. God presented himself to Elijah in a gentle whisper. Now, I've always liked the the way the older translations of this verse interpret this. They say that God came to Elijah in a still, small voice. The almighty, the all-powerful, the storm-creating, earth-shaking, holy, fire-sending God of the universe communicated to Elijah in a way that would catch his attention and speak to the core of his being. 
Elijah's response, as you notice, you probably thought well, that was interesting. He wrapped his face in his cloak. In other words, he covered it up. So he couldn't see the presence of God. In the Bible, hiding one's face from God is a sign that that person recognizes that God is present in their midst and out of respect and awe and reverence, they do that. Elijah knew that God was present with him in that still, small voice. He had an intimate, personal encounter with the living God, and he responded appropriately. Interestingly, the wind and the earthquake and the fire were all sent by God as ways to encounter God, but it took a gentle whisper for Elijah to recognize and embrace his need for connection with God. And I think that's important for us to hear, whether we're experiencing depression or not, because while we would love for God to connect with us, with us over the top, you can't argue with an obvious display of power and might. It's more than likely that it's going to happen through the still, small voice of God that we encounter God in a personal, intimate way. God's Spirit whispers to us constantly, and we need to, to tune our ears to hear. We need to address our spiritual needs by making time and giving place to hear God's whispers to us. So, God addressed the spiritual needs of Elijah. But he also addresses his need for significance. So let's talk about that. You know, one of the things that studies will show and what psychologists have realized is that we all have a need to know that our life matters for something. That they have significance and purpose. That, that there's a purpose to why I'm here and what I'm doing. We all have that need and when we lose that sense of significance, that sense of purpose, life feels meaningless. So in response to God's still small voice asking, what are you doing here to Elijah? He responds with the same emotional laden list of grievances that he gave God earlier. And you know what? God allowed him to vent again, to express all those emotions. But this time, God's response to Elijah is to do something really different. He reminds Elijah of his calling, of his purpose in life. So let's read. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from the town of Abel-Mehalah, to replace you as my prophet. Now, you know, it's easy to wallow in our grievances when we're hurt. I've been a pastor for 35 years, and I learned a long time ago that being in the ministry is messy because all of us people are messy. 
None of us gets through life without being hurt or wounded somewhere along the way. And at times, those hurts and wounds can stop us in our tracks and they can make us want to quit what we're doing or quit life, just like Elijah wanted to do. But when you recognize you were made for something greater than that, that, that God created you with a purpose, that your life has meaning, it will help you move forward, just like it helped Elijah to move forward. When we know our purpose, it gives our lives meaning too. And for followers of Jesus Christ, we have the most important purpose of all. It's to worship God, but to share the truth of what we have found in him with others. So we need to address our need for significance. And the final thing that we need to do is address our relational needs. You know, regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted, God created all of us to be in community and to have some significant relationships. You may not have a lot. You may have one or two. All of us have relational needs. We need a friend to do life with. And it's interesting to note that in Elijah's darkest hour, when he went into the wilderness and he told God that he wanted to die, that at that moment... He actually left his traveling companion. It said his servant. He left him. And then Elijah went into the wilderness alone. At his deepest, darkest moment, he was alone when he didn't have to be. And that was a dangerous decision. When God reminded Elijah of his calling and gave him a new assignment to anoint a new king and a new prophet... He also put Elijah in a new relationship with Elisha. So let's read. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shephat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So there's a lot going on there. I mean, the reality is, is that through putting his cloak on Elisha, Elijah was anointing him to be his successor, his prophet in training. And so God's assignment for Elijah included him having a significant relationship with Elisha. Elisha would become Elijah's friend and successor. And there's a few there for us to see that, that God created us all with a need to be in relationship. God created this thing that we call the church because we understand that we're better together than we are alone we need a friend to do life with. We need others who will walk alongside us in our friendships for connections and for support. And that's why we encourage you here at Valleybrook as adults to join into life groups so that you can do life with others. So you can find friendships and connections and support. So as I wrap up this message where we've looked at the life of Elijah... I want you to see that through God's word, God has provided us with guidance when we experience depression. Elijah's journey out of depression included guidance 
to address his physical needs, guidance to address his emotional needs, his spiritual needs, his purpose in life, and his relational needs. And those are all parts of our lives that we need to examine if and when we experience depression. And on top of that, obviously, consult medical professionals who can help us with our struggle with mental illness. I want to remind you that we've made some free resources available, some today regarding depression. They're on our website. We encourage you can find them all there. They're downloadable. They're free. There are many of them provided for our sister ministry, Urban Alliance, and we're grateful to them for that. And along there, you'll also find my referral list for anyone who may be looking to meet with a therapist. So as we wrap this up, you know, I think big picture what we need to know It's okay not to be okay. Because at some point in life, we're going to struggle with anxiety or depression or setting boundaries or forgiveness, whether it's giving it or receiving it. And it's okay to not be okay. But but God's word gives us truth in life so that we don't stay in that place, so that we can move forward to health. And God desires for us to, to walk in the fullness of this life that he's given us. So I want to close uh, this message with a prayer for all of us and particularly for anyone who's struggling with this. And and if this has brought something up, I I will remind you that at the end of our service, there will be prayer team members up here who will be more than happy to pray with you if you're going through a struggle. So if you would, bow your heads. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us and your care for us. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to walk through us and that you've given us this insight from your word about Elijah. So Lord, help us to see what Elijah did to address what was going on, how you spoke to him and ministered to him, and help us follow that example to deal with our own struggles with depression and mental health. I pray healing over anyone who is struggling in these areas. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.